Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Really, really great to be with you today. And I know that on days like this, uh, we tend to have visitors with us. If that is you, uh, particularly if this is not what you normally do on a Sunday, it's so good to have you here. Uh, It was August 2019, the last day of our family summer holiday on the North Devon coast. Lovely holiday, not great weather. But on the last day, I looked at the forecast and saw there was only a 5% chance of rain. So I thought, let's not head straight home. Let's have a day on the coast. And full of hope, I took my family to the beach. And as clouds formed, other families started to leave the beach. And I thought, they've not looked at the weather forecast. 5%. But as the rain began to pour, it quickly became apparent that I had once again placed way too much hope in a weather forecast. So here we are. Uh, This is my poor family in the foreground. Uh, You can see my son braving it against the elements. Uh, Just behind him, poking out from the picnic mat they were hiding under, is my wife uh, and my two kids, Um, and my two daughters. And in the distance, uh, you can see, of course, absolutely no one else on the beach. And apparently me saying there's only a 5% chance this is happening, that didn't help. That didn't help at all. Misplaced hope. Misplaced hope in the weather forecast. Well, This morning, just before the baptisms, we're going to look at what it means to have our hope in something that is sure and certain, and what it is that Michelle and Chris, along with Matt and Nicola, who dedicated their children earlier, are placing their hope in. So we're going to get into the Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, why don't you turn to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Uh, Keep it open. We're going to stay in that passage. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry at all. The words will be on the screen behind me. So 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour. When Jesus Christ is revealed, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your presence here. We thank you that you're here right with us here this morning. Um, And we thank you for this passage. We thank you this is the living word of God. And I pray that you'd use this just in these next few moments to speak to us and to encourage us and to draw our eyes all the more to you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this passage that I've just read out is part of a letter written by the disciple Peter. One of the guys who, at least by the end of his life, perhaps knew Jesus 
as well as anyone. And Peter writes this letter to Christians who are facing all kinds of trials, many of them facing very real persecution for their faith. And he wrote it to comfort them and encourage them. And it's a rich passage, isn't it? You can almost hear Peter bubbling over with praise about the hope that Christians have in Jesus. And you know, we all need hope. One of the things that I love about being in full-time ministry in the church is that you get to speak to all kinds of people. And you quickly see that no one has it easy. In the last few weeks, I've had the privilege of talking and praying with people facing all kinds of things. People facing health concerns. People facing addiction, people facing grief and loss and eviction. What do all these people need? What do we all need? Well, we all need hope. So we're going to look at two very simple things this morning. We're going to look at what is the hope of the gospel, and then what do we do with that hope? So first of all, what is the hope of the gospel? Well, the hope of the gospel is this, that God himself, in his love and mercy, has solved human beings' greatest problem. See, to understand why the gospel is such good news, you have to first correctly diagnose the human problem. I've said before over the last few years that I've had blackouts over these last few years. And the thing with blackouts seems to be that there can be all kinds of things that can cause them. And so doctors really wanted to get to the bottom of this. Is, this, is it a heart thing? Is it a brain thing? And so I had lots of tests, all kinds of fun tests to try and understand what was going on. Tests on my heart, tests on my brain. One test where I had to stay up all night without sleep and then have flashing lights shining in my eyes. But finally they got to a diagnosis. And you know, I'm so grateful for that because it means that it can now be treated. If you don't correctly understand the human problem, you'll look to all kinds of things for hope that just don't work. See, the greatest problem that human beings have is our sin. And I appreciate that sin is a very, very Christian word. So what does it mean? It means that we've fallen short, that we were, that we were made by a holy, loving, generous God to worship him and to be his image bearers in this world, to glorify him. But we fall short. And instead we put ourselves at the centre and it's rebellion against God. We think things and say things and do things that are not consistent with the glory and goodness of God, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. And that is all of us. We're all in that category. No one is exempt. Those of us who've grown up in Christian families and church all our lives and those of us who are here for the first time today, the Bible says that the thing that is most wrong in you and in me is not anything that has happened to us, it's something that is in us. And like a disease, it pollutes everything from our imagination to our relationship to our plans and purposes for our own future. And perhaps some of you are hearing this and you're like, I, I thought you said this was about hope. <laughs> well, stay with me because there is good news coming. But if we don't diagnose this correctly, we'll look for all sorts of things to place our hope in. And the story that the world tells us constantly is that if we just have this thing or that thing, we'll be happy. If we just have success, if we have popularity, if we have that relationship, or if we can be a morally upright person, then we'll find contentment. And it doesn't work. And you know, you see this all the time. That's why sometimes you can see people who by the world standards have totally made it. They're successful, they're popular, they're rich. 
And they're also deeply lonely and anxious and unhappy. Why? Because it's misplaced hope. It's placing your hope in earthly things, sometimes very good things, but things that were never meant to satisfy us. What is the problem with all these earthly things? Well, they're temporary. And we know this, don't we, that all earthly things will either perish or spoil or fade. Just to give a small example, you get a new pair of shoes, a new pair of trainers, or the latest phone, and you, you almost don't want to take it out of the box in case you ruin it. It's so, it's so shiny. But over time, we know that those things will fade. And those are just small things. But if we're successful, if we have success, that success will fade. If we're popular, that popularity will fade. Our lives and the lives of those that we love are far more fragile than we realize. I wonder what kinds of things do you place your hope in? What kinds of things do you place your hope in? We must get the diagnosis right. The biggest problem that human beings have is our broken relationship with God. And nothing that we can do can solve it. Politics can't solve it. Education can't solve it. Social care can't solve it. All forces for good, but things that don't get to the root of the human problem. We need a greater hope. So what is the hope of the gospel? Peter writes in verse 3, In his great mercy... God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that. In his great mercy. What is mercy? Well, it's the loving, compassionate heart of God towards the helplessness of mankind. God moves towards us. He makes the first move. God's response to our rebellion is to send his own son See, this is what's true of every baptism story, of Michelle's story and Chris's story. It's that they didn't start it. God started it. They're part of a much bigger story that God initiated. And, you know, it's wonderful to hear those testimonies that we just heard. But we're not glorifying people here. We're glorifying Jesus. Each salvation story is a work of God. He did this. The Father sends the Son and Jesus came and lived the perfect life that all of us fail to live, a life of compassion and humility and generosity. And then he goes to the cross. And on the cross, the sinless Jesus takes the punishment for everything that you and I have ever done wrong. All of it a personal offence to God and all of it paid for by himself on the cross. That is the hope of the gospel it's the work of God to restore sinful people to him. I heard one preacher put it like this recently, that the gospel isn't good advice, it is good news. The hope that we have isn't a set of instructions to live by, it's the proclamation of what the Father has done through sending his Son. And the minute we add anything at all to that, we're missing the gospel. We celebrate, or as Peter writes, we greatly rejoice because we're helpless human beings who've been rescued by a merciful God. And, you know, just so we're totally clear on who is responsible for our salvation, Peter writes that we're given a new birth into this living hope. Now, I've been present at the birth of all three of my kids. And I'm not going to go into detail because it's Sunday and some of you perhaps not long have had breakfast. But here is what's clear. My kids did nothing whatsoever to contribute to their own birth. 
It was very clear who was doing all the work. It wasn't the kids. They did nothing to contribute. They just came out crying. They didn't contribute anything to their own birth. None of us contributes anything to our own birth. And it's the same with our spiritual birth. What God has done in Chris's life and Michelle's life is a work of God. And it's so transformational that the only way that Peter can describe it is as a life starting over again, as a new identity, as a child of God. Is that the hope that you have? See, this stuff needs revelation from God. My own story is that I grew up in a Christian family. I went to Sunday school going to church, but I don't think it was until my early 20s that I really understood the gospel. I was working in London, I was going to a church in my lunch break, and I heard the gospel preached, and it was a message that I'd heard countless times before, but this time it was different. This time it was like, oh, I get it. I understand that Jesus died for me. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, Christian hope isn't a check the weather forecast and cross your fingers type hope. It's not a, gosh, I really, really hope this is true type hope. No, it's based on the historical resurrection of Jesus. That not only did Jesus die for us, forgiving us of everything that we've ever done wrong, but that on the third day, he walked away from the grave. And as he did, he destroyed the power of death and darkness. I love, I love that line that we sing, O trampled death, where is your sting? See, Jesus made a total mockery of death. He trampled death and darkness into the ground. The reason it's a living hope is because Jesus is alive. He's alive this morning. Do we believe that? Yes, yes good. Good. Those getting baptized today are placing their hope in the risen Jesus. That is the hope of the gospel. So if that's the hope, well, what do we do with it? Well, just two things on this. Get soaked quickly and keep on soaking. So first of all, get soaked quickly. So in a minute, you're going to see Michelle and Chris come up these steps, and they're going to get dunked in the water up here. And they're going to get completely soaked, fully immersed in water. And let's be honest, that is not normal. It's not a normal thing to do. So why are they doing it? Well, what they're doing is a picture. It's an acting out of what has already happened in their lives spiritually. There is nothing at all that is special about this water. This is just normal water. But as they go down into this water, they are aligning themselves with Jesus' death, saying that the old Michelle, the old Chris, died with Jesus. And all being well, they'll come back out of the water. That was a joke. That was a <laughs> they will come back out of the water. And what they're doing in that is they're being aligned with Jesus' resurrection, saying they've been, they've been raised to new life because of Jesus. See, baptism is powerful because it represents resurrection life. And it's what we see the followers of Jesus doing right from the very beginning. Jesus' disciples baptized believers. The early church baptized believers. If you've put your hope in Jesus Christ, if you believe that, that he is the Son of God for you and you haven't yet been baptized, get soaked. Get soaked quickly. Don't wait for a feeling. Don't wait until you've sorted your whole life out and it is all aligned with the gospel. If you do that, you'll be waiting forever. It's repent and be baptized out of love and obedience to Jesus. Get soaked early and keep on 
soaking. What do I mean by that? I mean keep on soaking in the truth of the gospel. See, life has its way, doesn't it, of taking our eyes off of the hope that we have in Jesus. We don't always feel full of the joy of the Lord. Worries creep in, anxieties can creep in, fears and discouragement and doubt can creep in. And we need to soak in the truth of the gospel so that it saturates our thinking and our imagination. And, you know, particularly in those seasons when life gets really tough. Because Peter writes, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Those getting baptized today are not placing their hope in a life without suffering. That is not what's on offer. Sometimes, actually, it's in our suffering that we see what our hope is really in. I've seen people in this church family suffer grief in all kinds of trials and still maintain hope. I don't mean just putting on a brave face and smiling through the, through the pain. I mean just keeping on coming, just hanging in there, worshipping when it's hard, being honest about the hurt and bringing it to Jesus in prayer. How do they do that? Because they have a hope that goes beyond their circumstances. In fact, if anything, their suffering pushes them closer to Jesus because they know they have an inheritance in heaven. Do you know that's true of you this morning if you're a follower of Jesus, that the moment you became a child of God, you were given an eternal inheritance that cannot perish, that cannot spoil, and that cannot fade. It is kept for you by the Father. It is utterly secure. It is guaranteed. The moment you put your hope in Jesus, you are lifted into another world where there's no decay and there is no death. As we come into land, Thomas Merton, who was a Catholic monk, said this. He said, our lives are shaped by the end we live for. Our lives are shaped by the end we live for. What he means is that the way we see the end of the story will determine how we live now, even in times of trial. Our lives are shaped by the end we live for. So I asked you earlier, what are you placing your hope in? Let me ask it in another way. What end are you living for? What end are you living for? How do you see the end of the story? Because for a follower of Jesus, the end of the story is glorious. One day we'll see the world restored to all it was meant to be and we'll see that the trials and the suffering that we faced in this life were temporary. And we'll see Jesus in all his glory and we'll experience eternal life in the kingdom of God. Do you have that hope? Do you have that living hope this morning? Maybe you're hearing this and thinking, well, that's good for you. I don't need that. I want to tell you, I believe this hope is for everyone. It's something that everyone needs. Or maybe you long for that kind of hope. If so, that kind of hope is available to you today. The experience of those getting baptized today and the experience of many in this room is that the hope that endures only comes through knowing Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled 
with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Do not misplace your hope. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. God is giving us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen.